0: Lesson 8, for August 17 through to 23, The Least of These, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, August 17. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you as we read your word each week that you speak to us through your Holy Spirit and through the gems that are in your word. You've given us the Bible that we may find a way to live our lives as we have been saved by Jesus, but also we need to become more like Him in our activities so that we can lead others to You. We pray that as we open Your Word this week, that once again we may have the joy and the fulfillment of knowing who You are, what You have done for us, and what we can do to help those about us. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40. And the King will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Let's read that again. Matthew 25 verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. After seeing that Jesus lived a life concerned about others, particularly those who were hurting and lost, we should expect that Jesus also would have a lot to say about care for others. He did. Jesus' teaching is practical focused on what it means to live as a follower of God. As such, we can see that Jesus urges us toward acts of justice, kindness, and mercy, like those that Jesus himself did while here on earth. If we follow his example, we will minister to others as he did. Jesus also talked about the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' description, the kingdom of heaven is a reality— that we can be part of even now. It is a way of life that functions with a different set of priorities and values and morals than are found in the earthly kingdoms. Jesus' teachings sets out the blueprint for this kingdom, and it includes a strong focus on how we serve God, and in serving Him, how we are to relate to others. We also discover that serving others, caring for their needs and uplifting them, is one way in which we can directly offer service to God. sunday august eighteen introducing the sermon on the mount jesus longest sermon or collection of teachings is the sermon on the mount his three chapter survey of life in god's kingdom begins with a statement of values that has come to be known as the beatitudes question read matthew chapter five verses two through sixteen what are the common features of these nine values or kinds of people described by Jesus as blessed? Matthew chapter 5, verses 2-16 through 16. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men." Along with the deep spiritual application of these words, we must not miss the practical reading of them as well. Jesus talked about recognizing the poverty in ourselves and in our world. He also talked about righteousness, translated as justice in some Bible versions, humility, mercy, peacemaking, and purity of heart we should take note of the practical difference that these qualities will make in our lives and in our world when they are lived out. Such a practical reading is emphasized in Jesus' following statements, in which he urged his disciples to be salt and light in the world, as we read in verses 13 through 16. When used appropriately, salt and light are to make a difference in the context in which they are added. Salt brings out flavours as well as preserves the food it is added to. It is symbolic of the good that we should be for those around us. Similarly, light pushes back the darkness, revealing obstacles and hazards, making a house or city safer and providing a point to navigate by even when some distance away. Like a light on a dark night, Jesus said in verse 16, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Both these salt and light symbols point us to the responsibility of disciples to influence and improve the lives of those around them. We are salt and light, when we live lives that mourn appropriately, have purity of heart, practice humility, show mercy, make peace, and endure oppression. So Jesus begins this sermon with the call to embody these sometimes undervalued values of his kingdom. And to finish today, in what ways does your church community work as salt and light in your community? How is your community a better place because your church is at work there? On the other hand, if you were to disband, what difference would it make in your community? Sunday, August 19, overcoming evil with good. When we consider the teaching of Jesus it is worthwhile to keep in mind the people he was talking to and the circumstances in which they lived. Jesus had begun to attract large crowds of people from the regions where he had ministered as we'll see in Matthew chapter 4 verse 25. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the following verse in chapter 5 verse 1, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Most were common people living under the imperial rule of the Roman Empire, but some were the Jewish rulers and religious leaders. The existence of the common people was difficult. They had few choices for their own lives, burdened by heavy taxation and weighed down by religious tradition. In teaching these people, Jesus was obviously concerned with offering them a way to live well, to live with dignity and courage, whatever their circumstances. One example of this is found in Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48, which we'll see later. In the English language, these instructions, turn the other cheek, give them the shirt off your back, and go the extra mile, are so well known as to be cliches. But this familiarity belies the radical actions and attitudes that Jesus is teaching here. The scenarios Jesus described were common experiences for many of his listeners. They were often violently assaulted by their superiors or masters. They were often indebted and lost their property to the landlords and lenders. They were often pressed into labor by the accompanying Roman soldiers. Jesus taught the people to respond with integrity, to treat the oppressor better than they deserved and, by so doing, to resist the loss of their humanity. While these oppressors tried to exert their power, the people always had the freedom to choose how they would respond and by resisting nonviolently and responding generously they exposed the evil of the oppression and injustice that was being done question compare matthew 5 verse 38 to 48 with romans 12 verses 20 to 21 How are we to live out these radical principles in our lives? Matthew 5, beginning at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. For, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And, if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, You shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. To finish today's lesson, Jesus summarized all the law and the prophets, all of the sacred writings we often describe as the Old Testament, in a simple principle that has come to be known as the golden rule. Matthew 7.12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. In what ways right now can you make an effort to do what he commands us here, regardless of the cost? Tuesday, August 20, the Good Samaritan. Question, read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 27. The lawyer who questioned Jesus offered a standard summary of the Old Testament commands for living a life acceptable to God. How are these two commands linked? Luke 10, beginning at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, "'Teacher,' what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was questioned, he often concluded his answers with an outcome quite different from what the questioner was seeking. In response to the instruction in Leviticus 19.18 to love your neighbour as yourself, it seems many of the religious people of his day had spent much time and energy debating the extent and limits of this neighbour principle. Jesus had already sought to expand his followers' understanding of this term, urging them not only should they love their neighbors, but they should do good to everyone. In Matthew five forty four and 45. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But, when an expert in religious law sought to test Jesus, he fell back on the much-debated question, Who is my neighbour? In Luke 10, verse 29. In response, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. But the ultimate response to the lawyer's question was not to define the neighbour terminology. Instead, Jesus said, in effect... Go and be a neighbor to anyone who needs your help, as we read in Luke 10, verses 36 and 37, which brings us to our question. Read Luke 10, 30 to 37. What is the significance of the contrast Jesus makes between the three characters who see the man on the side of the road needing their help? Luke 10, verses 30 to 37. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, "'Take care of him.' And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbour to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. As was common in Jesus' teaching, his harshest criticism was aimed at those who claimed to be religious but showed little concern for the suffering of others. Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages, page 497, In the story of the Good Samaritan, Christ illustrates the nature of true religion. He shows that it consists not in systems, creeds or rites, but in the performance of loving deeds, in bringing the greatest good to others, in genuine goodness. End of quote. In Jesus' teachings... He points to an outsider, someone considered unfaithful to God, to demonstrate what the call of God is to all who claim to be his followers. Like his first hearers, when we come to Jesus asking what we need to do to inherit eternal life, he ultimately instructs us to go and be a neighbour to anyone in need. Wednesday, August 21. The Rich Man and Lazarus. In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, as we read in Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, Jesus contrasts the lives of two men, one rich, one desperately poor. In the absence of social welfare, community hospitals or soup kitchens, it was a common practice for those in need, disabled or otherwise disadvantaged, to beg outside the homes of the wealthy. It was expected that the rich would be generous in sharing a little of their wealth to alleviate the suffering. But in this story, the rich man was, as Ellen White writes in Christ Object Lessons, page 261, selfishly indifferent to the needs of his suffering brother." In life, their respective circumstances remained unchanged, but in death as judged by God, their positions were dramatically reversed. Question. Compare Luke 16 verses 19 to 31 with Luke 12 verses 13 to 21. What are the similarities and differences between these two stories, and what do they teach us? Luke 16, beginning at verse 19. There was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that you may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge? or an arbitrator, over you. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich, toward God. There is no evidence in either of these stories that the men became rich by doing anything wrong. Perhaps they had both worked hard, managed carefully, and been blessed by God. But something seems to have gone wrong in their attitudes towards life, God, money, and others, and this cost them significantly and eternally. Drawing from popular afterlife imagery of Jesus' day, the story of the rich man and Lazarus teaches that the choices we make in this life matter for the next one. How we respond to those who seek or need our help is one way our choices and priorities are demonstrated. As Abraham points out to the suffering rich man, The Bible provides more than adequate direction for choosing better. Luke 16.29 They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Jesus taught that the temptations of wealth, whether having it, keeping it, or seeking it, can draw us away from his kingdom, away from others, and towards self-centeredness and self-reliance. Jesus called us to seek His kingdom first and to share the blessings we receive with those around us, particularly those in need. So to finish the day, whatever your financial status, how can you be careful not to let money or the love of money distort your perspective about what Christians should focus on in this life? Thursday, August 22, The Least of These Another occasion when Jesus was asked a question and gave an answer quite different from what might have been anticipated is found in the sermon recorded in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. The disciples came to Jesus and asked about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the time of Jesus' return, as we read in Matthew 24, verses one through 3 then jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple and jesus said to them do you not see all these things assuredly i say to you not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down now as he sat on the mount of olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The conclusion of Jesus' extended answer to this question referred to feeding the hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, welcoming strangers, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and visiting those in prison. He assured them in Matthew 24, 44 and 45, when you did it to or refused to help, one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This is connected with the questions that began this teaching as a picture of the final judgment. Throughout Matthew 24, Jesus presented more direct answers to the disciples' questions, giving signs and warnings about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the age. But he emphasized the need to keep watch and live well in light of the promise of his second coming. In the first part of Matthew 25, the story of the wise and foolish virgins urged the need for preparation for an unexpected or delayed return. The story of the three servants introduces the need to live well and productively while waiting. Then the parable of sheep and goats is much more specific about the tasks God's people should be busy with. Question. Read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. What is Jesus telling us here? Why is this not salvation by works? What do his words here teach us about what it truly means to have a saving faith? Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus' statement that when we serve others, we are doing it to him, should transform all our relationships and attitudes. Imagine being able to invite Jesus for a meal or visit him in the hospital or prison. Jesus said that we do this when we offer that service to people in our community. What an incredible opportunity he offers to us in this way. And so to finish the day. Read prayerfully what Jesus said in these verses. How do we understand the idea that he all but equated himself with the hungry, the naked, the imprisoned? What powerful obligation does this put on us and how we live Friday, August 23 From the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 42, we read Christ tears away the wall of petition, the self-love, the dividing prejudice of nationality, and teaches a love for all the human family. He lifts men from the narrow circle that their selfishness prescribes. He abolishes all territorial lines and artificial distinctions of society. He makes no difference between the neighbours and strangers, friends and enemies. He teaches us to look upon every needy soul as our neighbour and the world as our field. And from the same book, page 136 and 137, the standard of the golden rule is the true standard of Christianity. Anything short of it is a deception. A religion that leads men to place a low estimate upon human beings, whom Christ has esteemed as such value as to give himself for them. A religion that would lead us to be careless of human needs, sufferings, or rights, is a spurious religion. In slighting the claims of the poor, the suffering, and the sinful, we are proving ourselves traitors to Christ." It is because men take upon themselves the name of Christ, while in life they deny his character, that Christianity has so little power in the world. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, which is your favourite of the passages studied this week? And why? Two, look at what Ellen White wrote about how a faith that would lead us to be careless of human needs, sufferings, or rights, is a spurious religion. Why must we be careful to avoid the easy trap of thinking that, because we have the truth, which we do, nothing else matters? 3. How do the verses in Thursday study show us what having the truth also entails? So to summarise this week's lesson... Jesus' teachings set out a different way of living for those who are citizens and agents of the kingdom of God. Building on the foundation of the Old Testament scriptures, he echoed and broadened the focus on caring for the poor and oppressed, emphasizing that his followers will live as people of compassion and mercy while they wait for his return. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled, Dr. Demand's Abortion, and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Dina, a 60-year-old grandmother living in the Soviet Union, prayed every morning, Lord, send me someone who I can tell about you. One day, Dina noticed a pregnant woman as she waited at the bus stop in Petropavlovsk-Kamchatsky. Are you expecting, she asked. The woman, Leoda Savstina, began to weep. She was expecting a son, but the physician had insisted that she have an abortion. The doctor said that if I try to have this child, he will be stillborn and I will die, she said. Dina comforted the woman and invited her to visit her house church on Sabbath. Lauda n- had never attended church, but agreed to go. On Sabbath, Dina and Lauda joined 12 other church members, listening to Pastor Yakov Kulakov preach about God's faithfulness. Afterward, Lauda shared her dilemma with the pastor. He encouraged her to trust God, and he prayed for her. On Monday... Layuda told the doctor that she would keep the baby. Have you gone mad? The doctor said. When he couldn't sway Layuda, he summoned her husband, Vladimir. Later at home, Vladimir scolded Layuda. Are you so selfish that you are willing to die and leave your daughter without a mother? He said. I will keep this baby, Layuda replied. I trust in God. "'Who is this God that you were talking about?' he asked. "'There is no God.' The next Sabbath, Lyuda returned to church, and the next Sabbath. Soon, she was baptised. The doctor turned out to be wrong. The baby was born alive, and Lyuda did not die. Little Sergi, however, was sickly and suffered seizures. One day, Sergi suffered a severe seizure, his breathing stopped for ten seconds. Twenty seconds. His lips turned blue. Lyuda fell to her knees, crying, Lord, you gave life to this boy. Please don't take it away. Her husband rushed into the room. Come here and pray, Lauda told him. We need your faith too. Vladimir sank to his knees. Lord, I believe, he cried. At that moment, the baby began to breathe. The whole family became Adventist, and Sergei, now in his forties, remains a faithful church member to this day, said Pastor Kulakov, 66, who retired after 41 years of ministry and lives in Podolsk, south of Moscow. Why did this family become Adventist? The reason is that an elderly woman prayed every morning, Lord, send someone who I can lead to you today, said Pastor Kulakov.